Why don't we lift our hands and voices and give the Lord a little praise in the house this afternoon? Oh, come on, young people. Come on, students of the Indiana District. Let's take about 10 seconds and just lift our voices. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, I can't help but praise a little bit. My goodness, haven't we had a time at family camp? I'm glad four or five of us have. I hope the rest of you join us before the week is over. I think that'd be good. If you have your Bibles, meet me in 1 Peter 5 and 8. Um, I can't overstate what a privilege it is to be at this camp. Um, I, uh, I don't know that I've ever been to a meeting so well organized and yet still anointed sometimes we organize ourselves out of the anointing but this has been just fantastic from start to finish what a message brother Gill preached last night you know I, I appreciate the boldness of a leader that will address things that we, we're all comfortable tweeting and Facebooking about but for Bishop Gill to walk in here and just say, hey, this is spiritual warfare. This is, there's, there's an apostolic answer to this issue. Man, I was just so encouraged. Thank you, Brother Gill. Thank you very much. I, I told you yesterday, I don't want to call all the names of the friends I have in this district. Because it's like coming to a family reunion. I mean, my goodness, so many friends here. I do, I do want to give honor to Brother and Sister St. Clair. Uh, they have been friends of my family since before I was a part of my family. And uh, I honor them so much. Brother and Sister Allen, uh, Brother Kenneth and Sister Connie Allen, they're from Gina, Louisiana. That's a good place to be from. I know firsthand. I appreciate them and give them honor. My friends like Brother Cannon and Brother Wilkes, thank you for being so kind to me. I want to say how much I appreciate the trusses and their hospitality. Brother David Gill and the Masons. I told you I'd get in trouble, but I got two more days to call names. So wear your tennis shoes. Thank you for every song that's been sung. Praise teams have been phenomenal. Just when you think you've heard the, the, the talent, the cream of the crop, somebody else gets up here just as good as the last group. Thank you. Thank you for being a talented and anointed. Let's get to work. I'm going to try not to preach as long as I did yesterday, but I won't make any promises. Uh, 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because there is an adversary. Job chapter 1 and verse 6, I'll read it in your hearing. I'm sure they'll put it on the media. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. You may be seated. I want to talk to us for just a little while today. I hope I do a good job in a short amount of time from the topic, Give the Devil His Due. Give the Devil His Due. You know, there was a time, and I think Job is sufficient literal evidence but there was a time when satan came to church 
Bible tells us when the sons of God got together that Satan was among them. He was in the midst of God's people when they gathered in God's presence. And both literally and figuratively, figuratively Brother Frederick, I give you honor today. I appreciate you. Brother Frederick was the first place I preached outside the state of Louisiana. And I appreciate that. It's not gotten any better, but it's probably more lengthy than it was at that time. But when I was a child, you know, we, we heard preaching about Satan. We heard cautionary tales at every hand that there was an adversary and he wanted your soul. And I think maybe in an effort to overcorrect, because I've been in some pretty rough testimony services where people glorified the adversary more than they acknowledged him. That maybe we stop mentioning so much that Satan is real and he desires every soul of every young person and pastor and pastor's wife and saint of God. I, I'm afraid if we're not careful, we have church without even the acknowledgement that there is an adversary. And I don't want to give him praise today by any stretch of the imagination. But there's a difference between recognition and praise. If you leave here and get arrested and your face is on the front of the paper, you get recognition. But you don't get praise. And I, I want to talk to us for a little while about there are some things that Satan is due. I recently read a story about Yellowstone National Park. It was established on March 1st of 1872 and it covers 3,468 square miles. And by the early 1960s and 70s, Yellowstone had become one of the premier tourist destinations on the North American continent. There was a generation that loved to visit national parks. And in the 70s, that generation made Yellowstone a premier vacation destination they would go and visit and at that time you could pull your station wagon with the wood panels off the side of the road and you could catch fish in almost any stream and you could see all kinds of animals at any given turn people would go there and they would picnic and they would fish and they would hike and and they would see all nature of wildlife and they would they would experience nature at its finest and that generation that, was, that were children in the 70s kind of resurged as adults in the 90s. And they began to take the same vacations that their parents had taken them on, but there became a cry, if you will, from tourists to Yellowstone that the park was not the same as it was in the 70s. There were subtle differences that people who were there every day, employees and park rangers and, 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 and people, biologists, they hadn't noticed because they looked at the park every day. And that's how life is. When we see something every day, we don't always notice the subtle differences. And, and, and so they begin to get complaints. The park's just not like it used to be. So the U.S. Park Service hired uh, in the early 90s a, a airplane to fly over Yellowstone. And, and that this uh, airplane took aerial uh, photo photographs. Um, bear with me, I'll stumble a little bit, we'll get to preaching. And they superimpose those photographs over photographs from before the 70s, and they begin to notice some very alarming trends. They realize that where there used to be deep, narrow, swift rivers just two decades before, that now there were wide, shallow rivers. 
There used to be dense forestation all over the park and they began to notice that there were no young trees at all. That the forest had become open and they could see the ground at any given juncture. And, and so there was one man, they began, to, they began to try to process the issue. They began to try to figure out exactly what would cause the park to fall into disarray and decay. And one man said, you know, I'd like to study this and make it my project. And, and he was from the U.S. Forestry Service and he was a biologist, so he, he began to take core samples of the trees. He couldn't think of any other way to, 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 to start finding the issue. And so he took a machine that would bore into the center of the tree, and it would twist it and bring out a sample from the center of that tree. And, and, and from the center of that tree, he began to age the trees in Yellowstone. And he stumbled up on a startling discovery, and it was this. That there was not a tree in Yellowstone National Park that was under 80 years old. This gentleman began to go to local papers and research and try to find what happened 80 years before that had had such a horrible impact on Yellowstone and what had happened in that in that span of time that could have occurred at 80 years previous and us only see the effects of it eight decades later and he went to the local newspapers and he began to pull out microfilm I know that's a foreign concept to us but it's these little these little uh, clear things that you put on over a light and it shows you the articles from years ago and as he researched he began to see headlines at just over 80 years prior that read like this last gray wolf killed in Yellowstone he began to research and look and what he found was that when the wolves had been killed out and there was no longer an apex predator in the National Park that the elk population began to thrive. And the elk population that thrived had nothing that was a threat to it because it was so successful, it was so robust, and it was so productive that they began to graze on everything that they could find. They began to eat every sapling and seedling that arose. And as they grazed down the riverbanks, the riverbanks began to erode. And what used to be narrow, deep, swift rivers turned into shallow wide rivers and no one could catch a fish in the river anymore because trout those currents weren't swift enough for trout to even swim upstream and begin to spawn and let me stop right here and say what a privilege it is to see brother Jeffrey Smith and brother Mike Russell all the way from Louisiana in Indiana family camp So these rivers that were once deep and narrow and productive for fish populations had become shallow and the banks were caved in because the elk had free reign to fellowship anywhere they wanted to. They could fellowship at any time with no threat of an adversary, no threat uh, of a killer. And the process uh, was such that there were no spawn of fish and there were no new trees to grow. And I fear if we're not careful uh, that you, you understand that there were still wolves in the West 
yes, there were just no wolves in the controlled environment of Yellowstone. And I fear if we're not careful in the church in the 21st century that we will come to a place where a seeker-sensitive church and church that's friendly to everyone says, don't mention the blood and don't preach that there's an adversary. Don't talk about the fact that hell is a literal place. Don't tell us that there's an adversary that stands outside the door that when you leave he's looking for any way to trip you up and if we're not careful we'll sit saints in churches that the only person that's got any power is 80 years old and young people are so fellowship obsessed that there's no depth anywhere that we forgot what it is to begin to look around when we leave I came to this camp this morning or this afternoon to tell us young people there is a devil and he hates your soul and I know we're having good camp I don't want to put a damper on it but the moment you pull off this campground his objective is going to be to derail every bit of progress you've seen this week his objective is going to be to send you back to a church where fellowship is the only objective Look, I'm tired. I'm not preaching to preachers. I'm preaching to young people today. I am tired to death of seeing churches that once thrived just have a few elders sitting in the pew. I don't mean to disrespect elders, but I would to God there'd be some young people that would make their minds up. If anybody's going to live for God, it's going to be me, and I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to... I done got ahead of myself. I'm sorry. There were always there were there were still wolves. They understood that there were still some wolves around. They just weren't in Yellowstone. If we're not careful, we'll know there's a devil out there somewhere. We'll understand that there's Satan somewhere. I, I asked my wife a few years ago. I, I said I, I, we were preaching a camp, and I said, I said, Destiny, what is the greatest camp message you ever heard? She said, When I was 13 years old, a brother McCool came to Louisiana UPC camp, and he preached a message called Carousel to Hell. She began to tell me that he played audio. Uh, 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 of, of, of where they had drilled an oil well somewhere and you could hear the screams uh, that sounded like voices in the oil well uh, and in the hole and she talked about how he talked about hell being a real place uh, and how we'd burn and I thought my goodness that sounds terrifying but you know what she told me she said I never forgot it I never forgot that there is a real hell and Satan is a real being and I know sometimes it seems like every time we get in the pulpit we preach about what we don't do but Paul in the midst of writing he began to tell us in the book of Ephesians he said you don't want to be a fighter and you don't want to sin in anger and he, he's, he's listing all these things we shouldn't do and about halfway through he stops and says neither give place to the devil he's not saying don't mention him he's in the middle of a rant on sin but he's saying Satan is real don't you give him a foothold in your life my God I'm trying to preach fast but that's the reason that preaching on separation is so important in 2022. I know separation was important in the 50s. I understand it was good in the 60s. But we've never needed it more than we need it right now. Because it draws boundaries that keep us from the world. There is a 
devil. And the reason we preach like we do is not just because we want to be staunch or conservative. It's because there's a devil out there and we don't want him in our lives. I don't want him in my... Do you know, do you know, and I'm just going to preach for just a minute. Do you know that the United States has more military bases outside of our country than we have in our country? We have almost no military bases on the borders of our country. Very few. We've got a couple on the coast. We don't really have any on our Canadian border. We don't have a whole lot of bases on our southern border with Mexico. Do you know why? Because if we get to the place that an enemy is at our border, it's too late to defend ourselves. And I understand that sometimes it seems excessive the way we preach separation. You don't have to help me right now if you don't want to. I don't want you to feel pressured. Sometimes our, our separation seems excessive. But the bottom line is, is a lot of these old timers, I didn't intend to preach like this. A lot of these old timers set these things in place because they were doing it as unto the Lord. And they understood that if we don't start thinking about God till we're already in the backseat of a vehicle with a member of the opposite sex, that it's too late to draw lines of conviction. They understood that if we don't start thinking about turning the TV off until it's already a pain, you know, it blows my mind I told our church I may never get to preach here again that's all right I've enjoyed it while it lasted I told our church I was about 10 years old one summer I never heard my daddy preach against a tv in my life he never did my grandpa didn't but we walked in the house one summer when I was probably 10 years old and my mom if y'all preach against tv if your pastor preaches against tv just disregard the next 15 seconds of this message. I walked in. My mom said, we don't have a television anymore. I said, well, we didn't really watch anything on it anyway. She said it was a thief of your time. You boys were spending all your time looking at it. That was the summer we had learned how to read for pleasure. <laughs> that very summer, I discovered Louis L'Amour. But you know, if she felt that... 20 years ago, 25 years ago, my goodness, what about an iPhone 13 Max? What about our iPad Pros? I'm not preaching against them. I love them. I love the research that's done on it. But the problem with media is it tells you what to think. And if you spend all your time looking at it, it forms your opinions for you. And media is not written with an adversary that wants you to spend eternity in hell in mind. It's written with entertainment in mind. It is a thief of your time. Young person, don't you let your phone tell you what to think. Don't you let your iPad tell you what to think. Think. Don't you let some YouTuber that is only doing anything so that you'll look at a screen for hours on end tell you what to think. Furthermore, we are in a generation that we have forgotten how to talk to each other. We've forgotten what it is to fellowship and godly fellowship because every relationship we have is digital. I believe Paul was in the prophetic when Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, he called Satan the prince of the power of the air because in 2022, we've made 
everything wireless. Uh, and if I don't like you, I'll just unfriend you. They've got to, we've got to return to a place uh, that says uh, we may not get along, uh, but God uh, loves us both. Uh, we serve the same God. We believe the same things. Uh, I can't just walk away because we disagree. Young person, my goodness, I feel so good preaching. I'm not preaching to pastors because I believe we've got good apostolic pastors that preach separation over the pulpit. I'm preaching to students. So you take, you bear that in mind as I preach this next little spill, I'm gonna, this soapbox I'm going to step up on. We've gotten really good in the apostolic church in the 21st century at leaving convictions because they don't apply anymore. Now, you can go listen to all the preaching I've ever done. I don't typically preach like this. But we're so good at saying, well, we, we're in a different time, Bishop. And it just don't, it don't mean what it used to. So we'll, we'll go do those things that we, 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 used, we used to not do. That's fine. If that's how you feel and you can live godly, that's all right. But when's the last time we added a conviction? Because we're in a new day and time and things just aren't like they used to be. I'm all right. I'm all right if you want to take them away as long as you can live godly. But when's the last time you said, you know what? A phone is not a good thing for me at 14 years old. I don't need to be alone in the room with this thing. So I think I'll wait a little bit. When's the last time you said, I've never had anything good happen on media after midnight. So I've got to get up and pray in the morning. See, we make conviction a negative word, but it's not at all a negative word. I got a conviction that says I need to pray before I start my day. So I better push everything away and make sure that I can meet my conviction. I got a conviction that says if I don't fast, I won't last. It's a good thing. It's a positive conviction. Every now and then you ought to add something. When pastor gets up and preaches, it's not about the device. It's about what you watch. You ought to say, you know what? He's right, but I'm not going to be alone with the device because I don't want to give place to the devil. I'm not preaching against our phones, but I am telling us that there is a devil that will use anything he can. He will use any avenue he can to get to your soul. And the most important thing you possess is your eternal soul the most important thing you'll ever do is make it to heaven that's why I live for God I love camp meeting but I'm here because I want to go to heaven I love church but I'm here because I want to go to heaven and I must put things in place that are sure I make it to glory I'm gonna stand in front of this but I don't know where I'm at in it While I'm on convictions, this is not my thought, but it's a good thought. You are looking at a sermon thief. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah, somebody said, Jesus, God help him. Pray for me. Well, you know, that word convictions has that, it's got, we're doing all right? Yeah, give me ten more minutes. That word, that word, it's got that prefix co you know, co is the same, it's the same prefix of words like community and covenant, communion. It literally means that it takes more than one person. You can't have a community of one. 
If it's just one, you're just a person. You're not a community. It's hard to have a covenant with just one person. That's why Old Testament, the covenant is made in the name of the greater party. Why is it important to you? Because we get baptized in Jesus' name. The greater party put their name on the line. It's our covenant. Okay? That's why God, he, he looks at Moses on the mountain. He says, I'm going to give you ten demandments. No. He said, I'm going to give you ten commandments. Because God never intended for you to fulfill those commandments or those, those statutes by yourself. He said, I'll be with you. If, you. if you'll give me six days, I'll do more with six than you could ever do in seven. Give me the seventh one. And so we've got these convictions that come from that same prefix and we've got it in our mind that discipline means that I'm just going to do more and I'm going to push myself harder that was never the intention of a conviction the intention of a conviction was that I get closer to God and he and I work together we need a generation that will rise up and say I understand that God is real and I understand that Satan is real and if given two avenues and two choices I'll choose the one that lets me walk with him and walk closer to him when you let me tell you something when you pull something I don't know why I'm stuck on the phone thing today I'll preach something different tomorrow but when you look at something on your phone or your tablet the first question ought to be is this something that's gonna pull me closer to God or is it lead me down a road everything's not a sin but the entire world and entertainment industry is geared in a way that leads us to sin we were, we were doing this thing at camp last week. Brother Glasspool and Brother Chris had this fantastic idea to put, put preachers in front of young, young ministers and just go through the process of writing a message. And, and what happened is every year we sit back and listen to Brother Poole preach to the young ministers. And it's good. And so last week, Brother Poole was telling us about a job he was on where they had a break room and there was always vulgarity on the monitor of the television in the break room. And he said that, that they were giving him a hard time because he wouldn't go in there. He'd read that scripture that y'all not said, I'll set no evil thing before my eyes. So he wouldn't even go through the room. And some of these young guys were giving him a hard time. And he said, an old man that was not apostolic walked in and said, would you let somebody come in your house and give your family lessons on how to commit adultery? Would you let somebody walk in your house and give your family lessons on how to commit fornication? Would you walk in your house and let somebody give your family lessons on how to commit murder? If we're not careful, we will watch things that we were never comfortable participating in. And the reason that we can do it and sleep at night is because we don't think, we don't live our lives in the, with the mindset that hell is real and Satan is looking for an avenue. Young person, I didn't come to make you feel guilty, but I did come to convict our hearts because conviction drives us to God. I know Brother Bounds preached a similar message. I feel like I'm just re-preaching everything, but he took a long time. I'll preach it in short sections at some point you've got to say my relationship with God is more important than inclusion and acceptance it's more important than any device I can own and Lord if it stands between me and thee I'll give it away at some point we need to get back to a mindset hell is real Satan is real he's an adversary and 
can't thrive without knowing he exists. We can't live on just fellowship. Rivers get shallow and wide. Old growth is the only growth there is. At some point, we got to say, I'd rather spend time in an altar than I had at a restaurant after service. I'd rather spend time in a prayer meeting than I had on Tuesday night playing a video game. One more point, I'll close and we can go eat, we can go fellowship. But everything that we're a part of today, look, I, I'm telling you, I know that, there, that the Apostolic Church preached some things in the past that were probably extreme. My grandmother, my great-grandmother died at 96 years old, Bishop Walls. You preached in Louisiana back in the day. My great-grandmother died and would not put a pair of cotton socks on her feet. Because when she prayed through in the teens, that was men's apparel. And women didn't wear socks. Y'all looking at me like I made that up. That's, I know we preach some extreme things. I understand. There, there have been some things, but for the most part, we have not. My grandfather used to tell a story. Is it all right? Y'all okay with this? My, my grandpa used to tell a story about my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather received the Holy Ghost in, in 1920. He preached his first, started his first church in 1921 in Catahoula Parish. And so, so he preached against the radio. Because at that point in time, you couldn't listen to Bill Gaither. You, the Grand Ole Opry and, and such like was always on the radio. And they were preaching about it then. Because they didn't drink. They didn't want to hear somebody singing about drinking. My great uncle goes to war, World War II. My grandfather told me, my great grandfather would sit on the porch every night and cry tears because the only way he had to check on his son was to listen to a radio. I understand we've done things that are extreme, but they were not extreme in their time because the church was doing them as unto the Lord. There were old timers that understood that entertainment was taking us down a road. They couldn't see where it was going, but they understood the path that it was walking. And now, entertainment has come to a place where we don't, you know, when, my God, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble. But, but it started out as, as just movies, you know, and we didn't go to the movies. And then it became television and and. And, and, and every time a new medium comes out, it shortens our attention span. Do you understand? We went from, 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 uh, from movies to, to series on television. And then from series on television, we went to things like Hulu and, and, and uh, what's the one that's so popular? The Netflix. And, we went, and so then you don't, you don't even have to watch the commercials. Uh, you know, uh, uh, full sitcoms, 15 minutes. And, and then we don't even have the t attention span to sit through that. So now we're watching TikTok and, and reels on YouTube and shorts. And I'm not preaching against those things. I'm just saying that I see a path that every one of those things not only shortens our attention span, but it brings us more into isolation. And from the very beginning, it was said it's not good that a man be alone. At some point, you've got to spend time with God's people. Young person, I, 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 do you know that 78% of people under the age of 12 years old that the career path they would choose would be a YouTuber? 
to make their living. God did not call you to be a YouTuber. He didn't call you to be an Instagram model. He didn't call you to be a star on TikTok. He called you to be an apostolic minister. Wherever you go to work every day, I don't care if you're a doctor, a nurse, a carpenter, or a janitor. You were called to be an apostolic minister. Do not let the things of this world distract you from your calling and your purpose. I'm talking to every young person under the sound of my voice. The greatest messages at Indiana District Camp have yet to be preached. They'll be preached by somebody in these chairs. The greatest songs have yet to be sung. They'll be sung by people in this place. There'll be prophecies uttered over this assembly from these seats. But you cannot get distracted while you are young. You cannot get derailed in the process. There's a devil that sees your potential and he would intimidate you and distract you. But I came to tell you, keep living for God. I'm going to close. I understand everything's not a devil. Some things are flesh. James said resist the devil and he'd flee. Sometimes we put ourselves in situations that aren't Satan. They're flesh. When Joseph was in a situation of flesh, he had to flee. It wasn't the devil that had to flee. Brother Gill said it over and over last night. You can't blame the bitter cup for poor decision making. You can't blame the devil for doing something dumb with your computer or a member of the opposite sex. Oh, let me move on. I preach hard long enough. Y'all got Joshua 9 and 1. Read you a little story. And I will close. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of Jordan. That's the promised land side of Jordan. In the hills and in the valleys and all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Heard thereof. What did they hear about? They heard about Israel. Crossing Jordan into the promised land. They're overcomers at Jericho. That they, they being these kings, gathered themselves together. Now watch the, watch the verbiage right here because I want to move fast. Gather themselves together to fight. I've got that word underlined. To fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily. And went and made as if they had been ambassadors. They took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. And old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. So let's, let's, let's catalog, let's do inventory. Old wine bottles, old clothes, old shoes, and moldy bread. And they went to Joshua, this is verse 6, unto the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Make a compromise, make a pact, make an accord. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league? Now, Israel has lived in a vacuum of God's provision for four decades. Every time there's been a battle, God's taken care of it. Every time they've been hungry, there's been manna that fell from heaven. Every time their shoes wore out, 
clothes should have been rent. They stay branded. Got babies that were born 40 years old. They're wearing their first pair of shoes. They live without an adversary. They live without an enemy. And they've done it for so long that they have no concept of the real world. In any other camp, when men walked in, said we've come a long way we've come so far that our clothes are wore out and our bread's moldy in any other camp there would have been some wise elder that said bread don't mold and shoes wear out in the same time frame bread gets old long before you'd wore your clothes and shoes out but Israel's been in a vacuum for so long without an adversary that they don't realize They've been under God's protection for so long that they forgot what it's like to have an enemy. And those kings had come together. And in that second verse, they say, let's get in one accord and fight with Israel. But by the sixth verse, they say, let's make a league. Let's make a compromise. You understand that the fight was compromised that they've been so long without hearing that there are enemies out there that we must abolish that we must give no place to in our land that they didn't recognize sin when they saw it and it walked right through the front doors of the camp and there was no fight there was no fight at all they just said make a compromise with us such a vacuum of camps and conferences and meetings where we never hear that sin is sin. I'm not indicting other preachers. I think we've got the best apostolic preachers on the planet in this room. But we'll get so selective that we'll forget what sin looks like. And it won't be a fight. Satan won't come in and tear your home apart. He'll walk in and say, can I make a pact with you? I'll give you this if you'll just live for me. And if we're not careful, we'll have been protected by God so long without any mention of sin, without any thought of Satan, that we'll enter a league. And the next thing we know, we'll be sharing camp with an adversary that should have never walked through our door. Apostolic Crusaders, I came today to preach to you and nobody but you. I came to issue a challenge that some of you that have been living on the fringes, I'm not trying to be too bold, but some of you that you get you get saved every camp season and the rest of the year you just live however, you just, just, just fellowship and take it easy and wherever the best fellowship's at, that's where you go. I came to challenge you today. Why don't you come to an altar? Why don't you pray yourself into some convictions? Why don't you realize that you've lived under the protection of a pastor's prayers and the protection of mom and dad's prayers? Some of you got grandparents that prayed prayers before you were ever born. Some of you have had people that picked you up and brought you to church and they've been protecting you from an altar as long as you've known what an apostolic church is. But I came to ask you today, why don't you get to an altar and why don't you pray yourself into a place of conviction? Why don't you challenge yourself? Because there's an adversary that would 
would love to take your life when you leave this camp. But I believe there are apostolic crusaders today that will begin to form some convictions in your mind, in your heart, and in your spirit. And God will raise up a generation that knows how to preach apostolic doctrine, that knows how to pray the prayer of faith. I believe there are people under the sound of my voice that you will pray full-grown prayers before this week is over. You shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But you've got to get a relationship with God for yourself. You've got to get convictions for yourself. It's not enough just to do what pastor preached on Sunday night. It's not just enough to take what Brother Gill preached last night. you got to get it in your heart. you got to get the word out and begin to study to show thyself approved. Young person, I know this is not message but I'm telling you if you'll grab hold of it it'll transform your life it'll revolutionize the way you live for God young man I would to God that you'd be peculiar at your school that you'd be separated at your school I would to God they think you were some kind of preacher young lady I would to God that men that are coming around your church just looking for some girlfriend would leave you alone because you got convictions they know who you are before they ever get there oh I wish somebody cry out to God come on young person. Come on, young man that's got the call of God on your life. Come on, young lady that's got the call of God on your life. Why don't you begin to cry out? I know there's a devil. I understand there's an adversary, but you're not subject to his every whim. As long as you won't live your life in a vacuum, you can make it.